Maxwell. I'm the youth pastor, and it is a blessing to be with you. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Um, so I want to share a story with you. So when I was growing up, our house had this creek or crick, however you want to pronounce it. Um, but we had this crick that ran along the side of our house, and it was down a very short but pretty steep hill. And so during the winter months, the snowplow would come and it would push all the snow down the driveway and right up to the edge of that hill. So when we have a good snowfall like we had this last week, that hill would practically double in size. So it was this really nice, steep hill. And so when I was in middle school, me and my brother had this genius idea, as most middle schoolers have, right? You probably tell where this is going already. Um, We decided to ride our bikes down the driveway as fast as we could up this pretty, ste- uh, pretty sweet ramp uh, that we had built on the snow, and then while we were in midair, let go of our bikes and try to catch onto the side of the hill before we fell into the year-round open ice-cold water down below. Just a brilliant idea, isn't it, right? And, uh, well, then there was that moment that my brother didn't catch himself and he actually fell into the water. Um, I mean, we were talking about this over Thanksgiving. I brought the story up and my mom says, yeah, I remember looking out the window and I saw your brother go up and over the hill and disappear. <laughs> and so, um, but what's funny is my brother now all soaking wet in, his, in all of his winter gear and me being the good older brother trying not to laugh, right? Um, now it was time to tell mom what had happened. And uh, to which, after hearing our story, my mother would say those famous motherly words, this has got to be the stupidest thing you guys could ever do. Boy, did we prove her wrong in the years to come. (laughs) But I can't help but remember this story of my childhood when we visit the text for this morning. Um, And so to kind of recap where we've been, we're on this journey through scripture, these ancient stories of people's experience with God that have been told for thousands of years. And as we work through these stories, some of these may be new for you and others you have maybe have heard hundreds and hundreds of times. But each time we have this opportunity for God to reveal something new about who he is and what he wants us to know about life. And while each story speaks a truth for us to take to heart, there's also this overarching connection to the promise of Jesus. And this all started when God created. And what God created was good. There was energy and excitement about doing life with God. But then that all changed when man started making mistakes. And the disease of sin and guilt entered our world. As we continue in this journey, we see God's redemptive work come, come in as, uh, through the descendants of Abraham, that there would be one by God's grace who would change the world. And through Abraham's son Isaac, then Jacob, and up through Joseph, we would begin to see this Hebrew nation begin to form and settle in Egypt. And after a long period of time, we would see this large number of Hebrews leave their slavery-filled life in Egypt behind and follow Moses into the desert. And this is where they would begin to figure out how to trust the Lord. And this would be a lesson that they would learn over and over from generation to generation. It's even a lesson we continue to learn today. So the Hebrews had plenty of people, they had their freedom from Egypt, they had God's law, and now under new leadership of Joshua, the people of Israel had just crossed the Jordan River and were ready to begin taking over the land that God had been promising them since Abraham. 
And so this is where we begin, just outside of Israel's first obstacle, the walls of Jericho. So join with me as we open up to Joshua chapter 6. We're just going to kind of read through different sections of this just to get the big picture of this story here. So Joshua chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one long blast of the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people will charge straight into town. Okay, I want to pause here because every time I hear this story, I can't help but imagine those motherly words. This has got to be the stupidest idea that they could ever do. I mean, you just, I could just see Joshua standing there having heard what God had told him as their plan. And he's probably like, yeah, you expect me to explain that to Israel as our plan to conquer Jericho, right? I mean, because there's absolutely no military strategy here. Okay, with the blowing of trumpets, the importance of the priests in the ark, and uh, throwing this processional of all the people, they're having a parade. They're celebrating. There's got to be something better and more logical for them to do to conquer this city, right? But here's what happened. Joshua obeyed. He did exactly what the Lord had promised him, and better yet, so did the people of Israel. They trusted in the Lord's promise, as verse 2 says, that Jericho, its king, and all of its warriors were already in the hands of Joshua. This parade was essentially a celebration that God was already giving them the victory, and the miracle of it all would be that the walls of Jericho would collapse without any effort of the people. So they did this for six days straight, marching around the city in celebration of this victory that was to come. And so now look at verse 15. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded a long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this town. Now you probably picked up on this and you're probably wondering, what's up with the significance of this number seven? I mean, because throughout this chapter alone, there are 12 times that the number seven shows up in reference to seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, circling seven times around the city. So what's up with this number seven? I believe that scripture, at times, we see significance come from the little details. Taking a closer look at this number seven, we can see throughout the Old Testament a few other times where this number appears. So, for example, the seven days of creation in Genesis 1. The recognition of the seventh day being Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5. Animals needing to be seven days old before being sacrificed, Exodus 22. And a leper having to bathe in the Jordan River seven times to be cleansed in 2 Kings 5. And so you throw in our text for this morning and I think we can kind of see some significance here. Some commentators note, could God be communicating the idea of divine completeness and fulfillment through the use of this number? Divine completeness and fulfillment. So I sat with that a little bit. I was just sitting in my office and I was thinking on that. And it made me wonder, 
If Israel is being invited to be a part of this divine completeness and fulfillment through God's promise, what does that look like for us today? What does it look like for us to be a part of divine completeness and fulfillment in our world and where we do life? So think about that. We're going to continue in the story. We'll come back to that. So now we're at Joshua. Um, They had just uh, marched around seven times, and they blow their trumpets, and they shouted, and then this is what happens, verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. When the, men had, uh, when the men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and other relatives who were with her, they moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. They only kept the things made of silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent into Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So the story of this battle concludes with recognition that Jericho and all of its people were completely destroyed except for Rahab, a prostitute who had helped the spies earlier in the story. And in the following chapters, Israel would continue to conquer and destroy city after city, taking over the land that God had promised them so long ago. So what do we do with this? Why, why, do you, why does God want us to hear this story? Well, first, we are once again reminded of the promise made to Abraham of not just land, but of one who would come and bless the world. So in this story, we hear about Rahab. Okay? And I think this is an important part of the story because throughout this chapter alone, they mention Rahab a few times. And that's significant Um, But they mentioned that not only was she spared, but she was brought into the life of Israel. And so if you fast forward into uh, Ruth 4.17 and Matthew 1.5, we find out that Rahab is mentioned to be the mother of Boaz, who would marry Ruth, and these two would become the great-grandparents of King David, who we know as the line of Jesus. So we who get to see the big picture of God's story here get to see a glimpse of Jesus in the midst of this story. Likewise, I believe there's an important reminder to the interesting relationship between the grace of God and our faith. Jump over with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This is just such an awesome passage on, uh, as the author recalls, so many important people in Israel's story um, who lived by faith. And so we're going to just kind of jump through and just be reminded of these stories. So starting at verse 4 of Hebrews 11. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Verse 5. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. Verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. Verse 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave his home and go to another land uh, God would give him as his inheritance. Verse 11, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and too old. Verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. 
Verse 20, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future of his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, confidently told the people that they would one day leave Egypt. Verse 23, it was by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. 24, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the Pharaoh's daughter, or be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, and chose a life of oppression for God's people. Verse 29, it was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. And verse 30, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. So not only is this chapter a good summary of some of the significant names in the Old Testament, but we can also see that living by faith is an important characteristic of the story. And this story would be one of those moments where their faith mattered because it was by their faith in God's plan that those walls would come crashing down. They had absolutely no control other than to trust God in this moment. And by trusting God, that led to them obeying God. They were tasked with something that seemed crazy and unlogical and probably even embarrassing to bring complete fulfillment and, uh, and completeness to God's plan. So going back to our earlier question, where do we get to be a part of God's work? Perhaps there are maybe some walls in your life you need to start walking around. Maybe you're at a place where you need to just trust God in this moment and move forward in obedience. Or perhaps God is tugging your heart to walk around the walls of some other people with them and, and bring fulfillment and purpose to their world. I mean, some examples that shot out to me was maybe your neighbors are obviously going through a hard time and they just need somebody to bring them hope in this time. Or uh, maybe there's this kid sitting by themselves at lunch and they just need somebody to show up, sit next to them, and show them that they're loved. Maybe, uh, maybe you're feeling called to start giving faithfully or sponsoring a child through Covenant Kids Congo or to start training for Team World Vision next year or the many, many other areas to serve in our church, city, and world. Maybe God is tugging on your heart to live faithfully. Where is God calling you? So starting next week, we're going to be taking a break from the Wayfinding series to focus our attention on Advent. And what a great time of the year to where you can go and do something completely crazy and unlogical and embarrassing to bring completeness and fulfillment to somebody's world. I mean, that's the story of why Jesus was born. Isn't that beautiful? So as we enter into this Advent season, let this be a great opportunity to intentionally step out and live by faith so that God can reveal himself to the world through us. Amen? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you, Lord, and to hear this ridiculously amazing story of something that the people had to completely rely on you. And they had no control over the situation. And Father, some of us may be here in this moment who are feeling that exact same place, that they have no control over anything, but Lord, they need to trust in you in this moment. And so Father God, I pray that these words would be uh, brought into our heart that we can continue to trust and live by faith and have hope and assurance in you.
So Lord, we love you in your name. Amen.